This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Hey, everybody, this is Chase from Barrel Age Flicks. Go ahead and check out our Patreon for raw, uncut footage and early access to all of our episodes. The link is in the description, and it's only $5 a month. Thanks for listening. Gentlemen, welcome to Fight Club. My God, I haven't been fucked like that since grade school. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. The second rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. I am Jack's smirking revenge. <laughs> we just had a near life experience. His name is Robert Paulson. Promise me. Okay. Promise? Yeah, I promise. Promise. I just said I promise. Three times you promise. We are God's unwanted children. So be it. I didn't create some loser alter ego to make myself feel better. Take some responsibility. Hey everybody, this is Barrel Age Flicks. I'm Lenny, yeah man, and this is... Hey, this is Ron. Let's drink and talk some movies. We also have... What's going on, you fucking nerds? This is Tyler. Let's talk about some modern mythology. And finally... This is Stu. Let's drink, motherfucker. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us for our Fight Club episode. We are very excited about this. Um, before we get started on that, of course, we always have our alcohol that we feature, and today's alcohol is going to be proper 12, and I'm going to hand it off to Tyler over here to tell us a little bit about it. What's up, guys? All right, so like today we got proper 12. This is a whiskey that was created by Conor McGregor. Uh, we're going to talk about Fight Club, so let's talk about a whiskey that's from a fighter. Hell yeah. Um, one of the best ones, yeah. uh, one of the best living legends we have today. Better be so, good than last week's shit. <laughs> so this one, this one I have to admit, like, you know, I'm actually a huge fan of this whiskey. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Conor. Uh, so like, so I've had this before. It's a, it's a personal favorite of mine, just like this movie is. Um, so, like, so I really, really enjoy it. I think it's a very sweet, very smooth, um, albeit mild whiskey. Um, it's very accessible for people that, that have, are not really huge whiskey fans. Um, but a couple things, look a little bit of background. Uh, Connor came out with this back in 2018. He was working with some uh, some distillers in Ireland. And it's made at the old Bish, uh, Bush Mills distillery in Northern Ireland, which I'm pretty sure some Irish are, uh, are not very happy about that. Uh, but whatever, uh, you know. You got to work with what you have sometimes. All right. So, uh, but anyways, like the, uh, so the origin of proper 12's name actually comes in two parts. Um, first we have to understand the, the slang of the UK and Ireland. So, uh, over there, when they say something is proper, that means that it's real or it's legit. Um, like, so over here, you'd probably say like, yeah, yeah, that guy, he's a fucking asshole or he's a real asshole. Right. Um, over there, you say he's a proper twat. <laughs> so, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Uh, second, uh, Dublin is separated into, uh, into districts and, uh, Connor actually grew up in district 12, um, which he says is a pretty blue collar place, uh, a pretty, pretty tough place to grow up, um, where, uh, where hard, hard work is, uh, is appreciated. And, uh, I definitely, I definitely respect that. Um, so, uh, yeah, so hence the name, uh, proper 12, um, uh, another note also, um, I want to go ahead and point out, uh, every, with every case sold, uh, proper 12 sells, um, or sorry, with every, every case sold proper 12 donates money to first responders around the world. Um, so I want to give a personal thanks to uh, Connor and, pers- and uh, Damn, Proper 12. That's awesome. Nice. I, I didn't know that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. So uh, so I would want to give a personal thank you to Connor and uh, Proper 12. We are not sponsored by these guys. This is, like, from the heart. Um, thank you uh, for, for doing that. So yeah, um, without further ado, um, I'm going to say sláinte. Cheers, guys. Right, nice Roast. Here we go. Good. 
Yeah, man. That, I, I like that. That's wow. Funny. Yeah, I know, right? All right, Lenny, let's let's hear your review. Yeah, so, um, I mean, I, I have, I have spoiler alert, I've had this before, but it's been a little while. Um, our, um, it was like last year, I think, last summer. Uh, I like this whiskey a lot, man. It's got it's got a it's got an afterburn like any other whiskey does, but it's it's not it's not like a punch in the chest. It's right. a real smooth, slow burn, if that makes sense. Um, and you're right, it's got like a it's got like a, a spice to it, and the, it's just it's got a really pleasant taste. It's not overly sweet. It's not overly bitter or anything like that. I like it. I think it's great. How many thumbs? I'm gonna give it two thumbs up. Right on. Absolutely. How about you, Stu? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give it two thumbs up also. Um, I will absolutely agree that this is very mild. Uh, maybe not the the true whiskey drinker's whiskey, right. let's say. But uh, to absolutely agree with Tyler that piggybacking on as a good intro whiskey to somebody who might not be a huge fan, right. th- this would absolutely be a great way to introduce them to whiskey. Yeah, um, oh, yeah. yeah I would definitely buy this. Absolutely. So two thumbs up for me. Tyler, your review, even though we know that you love this stuff. Oh, yeah. No, no. You guys already heard. I already said at the beginning of this, like, you know, I love this whiskey um, so easily, like, two thumbs up. You know, this is this is the best whiskey for me, like, on holidays uh, to get up and, like, and put this in my coffee and mix it. Like, you know, like, it's Oh, the, it's, it's that was already thinking about Irish coffee. It, yep. it is the shit. So I'm going to go ahead and say this. This is a whole lot better than last episodes bullshit. <laughs> you really that did not like peanut that butter peanut butter whiskey. Piece of crap. <laughs> I enjoy, that shit was too sweet. This tastes like whiskey. I, I like it. It's mild. It's smooth. I can drink this moderately. I I, I wouldn't compare it to Jameson because I'm, I'm a Jameson by yeah, heart. Absolutely. But I, I, I would drink this anytime. Anybody, I, w- I would buy a bottle of it. Mm-hmm. Easy. And you know, the other thing about it too is it's it's affordable, man. It's not it's not ridiculously expensive, which is great. Yeah, I love that. It's a true blue collar whiskey. Yeah, you know I'm, what I mean. Like I'm impressed. That, that that's a good. That's uh, two thumbs up. Two Wait. thumbs up. All right. So y'all want to get in the movie now? Oh yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Right. Let's do Fuck it. Yeah. All right. So so I, I'm going to apologize to you guys and everyone out there listening. I'm going to suck this movie's dick the whole time. I love <laughs> it. This red, slippery, angry looking dick. I'm going to suck it because like I love this fucking movie. So uh, like I love we, this whiskey too. When we listen, like so uh, during the intro, when we're listening to all those quotes and everything, it's just like when I watch the movie, bro. Like when like I hear the quotes, like I, my, the hairs on my neck fucking stand up. Oh, I saw you yeah, smiling the whole time when those yeah, intros, yeah, yeah. especially the promise part. You yeah, yeah. <laughs> you promise? Yeah. Do you promise? Yeah. That's three times. Do you promise? Yeah. Like that's three times you promise. Like just that the little oh, fucking yeah. ad on the end. Uh, like prepare to evacuate soul. Um, fucking like you know um, on a long enough t- timeline, the survival rate for everybody drops to zero. Um, that it just there's so many great lines in this movie. Um, and like I said, when I watch it, man, like the, the hairs on my, on my neck fucking stand up. So it's, it's a great fucking movie. Um, but like, let's go and start at the beginning. So this movie was made back in 1999. That was a, a magical fucking year for like, for, for movies. Um, like we had Blade and the Matrix and American Beauty come out. That is a shit ton of good movies that came out that year. Snatch. Fuck yeah, dude. That came out, and it's also starring Brad Pitt. It came out the same year. It came out the same year. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And a great fighting sequence in Snatch. So like that, it was just a magical fucking time for, for a lot of things, man. Like everything was like was just kind of dark and heavy, and and I think that a lot of that kind of reflected like what was going on at the time. Um, it was a pretty pretty dark time. Like, um, I have fond memories of it per- uh, personally, um, but they were like you know there was definitely some shit going on. Like you know, I, I, government definitely felt bigger than ever, um, and like the there's a lot of commercialization going on. Like you know, it just everything felt like it was a fucking commercial. 
Um, so, uh, like, my dad was a was a NASCAR fan. Like, and I remember, like, back in the 90s, like, it seemed like those cars had more fucking, like, ads on them, like, than ever before. Um, and just, it was just a sort of, like, a, a byproduct of the time. Um, we also had, like, South Park and Family Guy that came out at that time. Like, oh you know, it kind of seemed like that. Even though, like, the commercialization was, was bigger than ever, like, the, the PC the PC bullshit that we have to deal with with nowadays was at an all-time low back then. And yeah. I, I fucking, I yearn yep. for those days, man. Um, so, like, what do you guys remember from, like, from that from that era, the late 90s, 1999? Like, you know, like, what do you guys remember, like, going on then? I remember it was, like, almost like the end of the world with the Y2K. You remember that? Everybody was just so worried that it was going to be the end of the world. And, you know, it, wow. There's a lot of things. I think it fit perfectly the the time frame. Just when he quotes in the movie that we had no great wars, we have no great depressions and everything like that. That fit the time frame so damn well and fit the mentality of the generation right. that was going through that. And I remember that um, I was senior in high school and, yeah, absolutely had that same type of feeling like, what the fuck you know are we all just grinding along just for what now and then also that when the year same year like with the ikea generation kind of started mm-hmm. where basically because that's that's the whole thing idolized in his film by the edward norton character you know how he loved all of his personal belongings from ikea and everything <laughs> it was just furniture that in that apartment it was me <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like to thank he academy oh my god yeah so the great line uh in the 90s man for me it was it was a it was an interesting time because I didn't have a lot of um, friends focus. Uh, no, yeah, <laughs> nobody loved me. Nobody no, I had I had a lot of focus. So it hasn't on, changed much. <laughs> no, it hasn't. Oh, thank you guys for letting me be here. No, um, I I you know back then I was having kind of you know like a rough time with my home life, so I was more focused on what was going on in my immediate environment. Overall mentality, at least for me, and the, and the kids I was around, and, and the majority of kids my age was just they didn't really give a fuck about you know stuff that w- was offensive or not offensive or any of that stuff. It was more just everyone just was focused on having a good time and enjoying themselves and not being fucking bored. Yeah, doing yep. something fun. That's I mean the the nineties gave us jackass and all that shit. Oh. I loved that shit, mm-hmm. you know. And then like this is a perfect example. This movie is a perfect example of a generation of people who are just fucking bored and they want to feel alive, and so they're reaching out in any way they can to do that. And, and it's nothing you know, like that anymore. No, no. Yeah, so um, I basically this the exact same thing. Um, I remember that time being uh, being very, very a very dark time. Um, even though like there wasn't really a whole lot going on. Like wasn't like we were like in the middle of like a a hellacious war. This is before nine eleven or anything like that. Like it just there was just something like kind of there's something like lingering in the air or whatever. Like even the music was, was dark. Like I was a huge, I, I am a huge corn fan. And like, and that was some of the darkest shit like mm-hmm. ever. And like, and not like in the black metal kind of like, you know, overtly like, you know, evil satanic stuff. Um, it, it dealt with really a very, very personal, um, real issues. Yeah. She's like child, child abuse and molestation and, and being bullied and everything, which we're going to get into a little bit later. Um, but like, but it was very real, very much in the same way, like how Rob Zombie is, is very, very dark with his movies. There's a, there's a certain realism about them. Like, you know, that, well, uh, like, you know, the part where they're going in, when they're addicted, when his character is addicted to going to these, um, convention, what, what are they called? The, uh, support groups, yeah, support, support groups, groups yeah. that are like for molestation for, uh, two 
tumor, uh, cancer, and all that. Ascending bowel cancer. <laughs> it's truly a dark movie in the beginning when you see that, and he's addicted to it. It's helping him get to sleep and everything else. So I don't feel that was dark. I really don't. I felt really? that was a a perfect setup to how the world has just made him numb. It's not dark. Right. It's it's just he doesn't feel a part of anything just well, the going through the motions it's and almost like that's it's something that gives him some feeling finally right because yeah. he's yeah. not necessarily it's not just what he's feeling he's feeding off of other people's emotions just so he can feel something yeah yeah you know because he well, felt nothing before yeah uh well what Stu said uh about how like it, it doesn't really feel like it's dark um like i actually think that like that not having a purpose is incredibly dark because like as the people who don't have purpose don't feel alive, and that's that's something like that yeah. I kind of feel like is a recurring, yeah. a recurring uh, theme of this movie. Right. Um. So yeah. So but yeah. Um. Referencing the uh, the movie uh, the music, Dust Brothers. Uh. Like they did the score for this movie, and like it was like this grungy industrial techno music that was like that was so popular back then, and like it still holds like a uh, a place deep in the cockles of my heart. Like I love the fucking soundtrack, the way like it just like it just jumps into the movie and just doesn't stop throughout the entire thing. Um, oh, it's, it's it's amazing the score of this movie. Oh yeah, no, it's great. It fits so well. Yeah. It, it also it it fits so well to the Tyler Durden character also. I mean, the part where he's inside the hallway and he's just dancing when he's got Marla, remember? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. when they're trying to put, when he's trying to take her, he's going to take her to fuck, well, you know, everybody knows who Tyler Durden is in the movie. Yeah. yeah no yeah. spoiler spoilers ahead, so but this is a almost 30 year old movie almost yeah, so all right so i'm sure they're fine with spoilers what no i <laughs> guarantee there are people out there that have never seen this movie you're I mean, right but also those people fuck them um oh, sorry <laughs> you got a point you haven't seen fight club then fuck you <laughs> <laughs> let's fight all right so speaking of that let's go and Punch jump right in the ear <laughs> in the ear <laughs> so. Um, yeah, so um, so how this how this uh, the story kind of came about. So uh, Chuck Palahniuk, I don't know if you guys are like are, are very familiar with his work. He's a very very um, controversial but very real writer. Um, he's actually one of my favorite authors. Uh, he came up with the idea because he went on a uh, on a camping trip uh, a couple of years uh, before. So the, I think the book came out like in '95. Uh, he went on a camping trip, and while he was out out there, uh, he got into a fight and he got his ass kicked. Yeah, and he went back to work uh, on Monday, and he was like, he had bruises and like you know black eye and everything like that. Um, but the strange thing that happened was like was that everybody just kind of ignored it, like nobody wanted to, ad- nobody dressed it, nobody came up to him. Uh, apparently, this guy didn't have any real friends. But uh, but nobody, wow, you know, like nobody actually asked him. They asked him a bunch of mundane questions, like, "Oh, so how was your weekend?" You know, yeah. Oh, and so wow. like so when he kind of like, and that was just sort of the catalyst uh, for um, for the story. So that's where where Fight Club kind of came from. Now, what other books has he done other than Fight Club? Other than I know of Choke. Yeah. So there's like an uh, Invisible Monsters, where like where this runway model gets like uh, gets completely deformed. Basically, she loses her power, and it's about her like her her. Um, uh, like her story, whatever, like what happens to a person like that. Interesting. Uh, yeah, and it, it's pretty. It's pretty fucking crazy. There's a story, uh, a book called um, Soul Survivor. It's about like a werewolf on an airplane. Huh. Um, there is uh, the short story Guts, which a lot of people are familiar with. It's yeah. basically three short, uh, three short stories inside of a short story. Yeah. Um, about some of the crazy things that people do for for sexual gratification. Um, wow. Yeah, everything from like from like you know asphyxiation. Uh, R.I.P. David Carradine. Um, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, too soon. Too yeah. soon. I miss him. <laughs> 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 and uh take this cock ring from my hand and uh 
So uh, uh, everything from that, from like from you know foreign body insertion uh, to uh, to the suction on a pool. Which read the story for yourself. It's fucking crazy. Uh, one one of one of the favorite things that Chuck likes to do is he likes to go around the country when he um, when he's touring his books, but he won't read from the book that he's that he's actually selling at the time. He'll actually read from something that like that he's working on to kind of feel it out. Really? See what people's reaction ah, are, that's is. Smart. Yeah. 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 It comes with like a comedian, like kind of like working out his material huh. and like, and he read guts and people fucking fainted. Nice. Wow. Yeah. People <laughs> cried. People left the room. People fainted. Uh, he said that there Some was people jerked off. <laughs> <laughs> is that, that Pee Wee Herman? <laughs> like, uh, tell me more. Tell me more. I do have to ask though how how true to the book is this movie? To like how how true to it is it? Mm. Is it pretty spot so, on? Chuck Palahniuk is an awesome writer. Um, so the book is actually for the most part very very faithful. Uh, the the movie is very very faithful to the book. Okay. Um, things the like. I would say like the second act to third act, um, there's a quite a bit of deviation like here and there, whatever, just in like the, the series, the sequence of events and how things happen and like, and where certain conversations happen. Uh, probably my favorite, my favorite, uh, monologue from, uh, from Brad Pitt, Tyler's character, uh, or uh, Brad Tyler's character played by Brad Pitt, um, where he's talking about, um, we're the all singing, all dancing crap of the world. Like you know, you're not your not your car, not your job. Not how much money you have in the bank. Thank you. Not the car you drive. Yeah, dude, I love how like he's like sweating world. and like fucking working out too. The screen starts shaking. You're not your fucking khakis. Yeah, there's this, there's this fucking hairs on the back of my neck again. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So uh, that that is actually a part of like of multiple um, multiple scenes, and they sort of like they kind of cut all that together and made that and made that one monologue. Um, and, um, I, I think it's awesome. Like the, the, the movie is like, is, is a true, like, uh, is a true, like monument, I guess you'd say like, of like, of both Chuck Palahniuk's work and David Fincher as a director. Like when you get those two great minds together, like what they created is like, it's just amazing. And like, it's, it's, it serves very well to the, the level of, or the quality of work that, that both of both of them put out. David Fincher puts a lot of detail in his movies. That's the one thing I love about him is he, he puts a lot of extra detail. I'm sure you've seen all of his other movies, you guys, mm-hmm. because I, I don't know if anybody knows about David Fincher. <laughs> the movies that he, he actually did a movie that we just reviewed before. We reviewed Aliens, but he also did Alien 3. And now he did uh, Fight Club, uh, so it's kind of, you know, okay. same director here. And uh, he's also done other movies like Zodiac and... Um, uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, uh, uh, Panic Room. He's done a lot of great detailed movies, but truly, I, in my opinion, I believe Fight Club is his one of his best. But um, but yeah, so um, it's it's just it's a great great story, um, put, uh, portrayed by a great director, um, with great actors. Like this movie is a is is a masterpiece in my opinion. Um, but Do yeah, you know if the writer liked the film. I, a lot of times, I know writers don't. They're not appreciative of what actually gets put on screen. Um, like Stephen King hated, hated, hated um, the Shining. The Shining, yeah. Um, so, but I, even though The Shining was an amazing, an amazing piece of film, I just don't know if Chuck enjoyed uh, Fight Club. So, um, one thing I've definitely noticed from uh, from Chuck Palahniuk from his interviews, um, he definitely has a respect for art and for creativity. Hmm. Um, I've never heard him out out like outwardly say whether or not he liked the movie or not. Right. I think that he would probably believe that it's in poor taste to to judge somebody else's um okay. interpretation that's fair and, and also like you know I, if he didn't like the movie i'd be kind of like well, well dude it's 
75% of the story is pretty fucking faithful to like to what you wrote. So what right. you don't like your own shit? Like, you know, like yeah. I would have questions. Um, but yeah, no, I never heard him say like one way or the other, whether or not he, uh, he likes it or not. But yeah, so, um, so we're going to open up with the, uh, with, with like with the movie, um, uh, with the opening of the movie. So, uh, the movie starts off of course with a gun barrel, uh, and, uh, and we're going to call him Jack, um, uh, in the, in like in the, the, IMDb, they call him like the narrator, Edward, Edward Norton's character. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm going to call him Jack just because, like, you know, I am Jack smirking revenge. Right. Um, like the, uh, the, the Reader's Digest. Um, Jack starts off with like with a, with a gun barrel in his mouth. And, uh, we kind of get the idea that, um, they've strapped all these buildings with, with explosives and all of it's going to blow up here within a matter of three minutes. Um, and it's just like this kind of slow, slow countdown. And from there, um, you know, it's 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 another one of those movies where like where it starts off. The book actually starts starts this way also, but um, it's another one of those movies where it starts off like you know in the third act, and then you kind of you cut you cut back to the beginning and you work back to you kind of knowing like what's going to happen, right? Um, but yeah, like um, so from there, like it jumps immediately from like um, from that to Edward Norton's face being in Big Bob's bitch tits, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, which I fucking love that. Like, uh, you know, like if you actually look at it real closely, like the the fat suit they put on Meatloaf, ninety had, pounds had nipples. Yeah, dude. so like, so you see Edward Norton's face like plugged up against his tits, and like there's like a nipple like right by his fucking. <laughs> <nipples>. <laughs> yes, yeah. The fact that I want to say this flat out, I love Meatloaf's um, performance in this movie. Absolutely, oh, yeah, man. And Meatloaf is actually he's a great he's a great like early '90s like rock opera type of uh, artist. Uh, he's done a, light, a lot of uh, you know great music and everything else. I think the last movie I saw of him was Rocky Horror Picture Show. He was in that too. Oh yeah. No, I was going to say just real quick when I'm commenting on that, and again, simple mind here, but I there's there's a lot of movies that will do that where they'll start in the third act and then they go well hey let's back up to you know, um and to me, uh, one of the things that marks a film that's really good is a movie that will do that, and by the time I finally do get to the third act after watching the film from you know where they rewind yeah I I forgot all about it. I completely fucking forgot about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, fuck, I forgot. This is where we, like, for, so for a story to be so good and capitalize, it, it pulls my attention so hard that I've completely fucking forgotten all about that part. And right. then I'm like, oh, yeah, and then I have to remind myself. I think that's kind of a, a, a cool tribute to to any film that's able to do that. Yeah, no, Which this definitely did. Yeah, no, I thought I thought Meatloaf was a great casting for the uh, for Bob. Um, you know, just it's it just just a fucking amazing dude. Like, you know, portrayed this washed up bodybuilder that's like this estranged from his kids, divorced and everything. And yeah, like because that. he was it wasn't he, it was cancer and he took like didn't he take like drugs or something like that or yeah yeah he, he was, was a bodybuilder yeah he's a, yeah he's a, ju- he's a juicer like you know like he was a bodybuilder and like and um you know basically what had happened is like is that he'd take he'd, he'd taken all these steroids and his body like you know went went into flux maybe he like he came off of it or something like that like and his body went into flux and increased the estrogen that's how he ended up with bitch tits right so um and the removal of the testicles yeah, well, that didn't help either. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was the, that uh, support group was a testicle cancer. Yeah, group. we're still yeah. we're still men, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Men. You can cry. Still men. I love I love Marla's comment. Like you know, like well, technically, like um, I should be in testicular cancer. You still have your balls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. she's yeah. like I'm less of an imposter than you are. <laughs> uh, quick fact: uh, Helen Bomb Carter. Uh, um, Helen Bomb Carter. Right? Yeah, she plays Marla. She does an amazing job. Um, quick fact. The original actress to play that was Renee Zellweger. I'm kind of glad that didn't happen because thank, thank fucking god that didn't happen. Yeah, because I she's a dark character in my yeah, opinion. Dude. She and was perfect, especially with her little cast. suicidal tendencies that she had. Yeah, I absolutely. I loved uh, Helen as Marla, 
But I would really want to see that alternate universe with Renee Zilber, Renee trying to play dark. Bridget Jones, giant exactly. Bridget Jones, Bridget Jones, against cast, and just see what she could have potentially done, and that may have she could have knocked it out of the fucking park for all we know, and set her on a whole different trajectory. She's a good actress, but I don't know. I, I, I her and character she would have married Tim Burton. That's what I'm saying. She's a dark character, and that's why I think she was yeah. perfect for Marlo. Last thing I just want to say about about Meatloaf, uh, I just want to give the guy his due because um, he lost a shit ton of weight uh, before the before the movie got hired, and they're like, "Hey, we actually need you to be a fat guy, so you have to wear this hundred pound <laughs> fat suit." Yeah, it's a made, ninety pound suit that's made of fucking bird seed. Um, so like so that oh, way the tits God. hung like you know gelatinous yep. like the way you think of gods. <laughs> um, and uh, so there's there's actually I remember the DVD had bloopers with him running in the suit. <laughs> in the you see it's flopping up and down. Yeah, and everything. yeah no, be, you guys I'd have to check that, that out. I'm scene, sure it's on YouTube. The scene where they're doing their homework assignment, the first homework assignment, the the the, the far out scene with him trying to find somebody to fight yeah. and to see him running around. Except they, they do the, the bicyclist, the messenger, and he's just <laughs> running around. Just Chasing like, people. That's way ahead. That, is a, that scene makes me laugh because you see him walking around and, and the camera's pointing down and you just hear a scream with that bike. <laughs> I laughed my ass off. Great scene. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I uh, just want to give props to to Meatloaf. He um, he did a great job. He made the character like imposing, but sim- uh, but sympathetic. Um, so later in the movie, like you know when he gets when he gets shot and, and dies, oh, I hated um, that. You I, you feel yeah. it. You feel it. Like I you're, hated that. You know you yeah. you feel it, man. Like you um you like you're definitely sad like that he got killed. His um, name man, is Robert Paul. Because you know man. that out of all those people in that household. He was one of the few that you know had a genuine, kind heart. He was yeah, a good yes. man. Well, remember when they were trying to do the additions to come in to, to be a yeah, part of it? Yeah, and they told him, oh, you're too fat, just, get out of here. You and he just, just started walking off yeah. sad, and you see Edward Norton gets go, I'm going, no, no, no. All right, this is what's going on. <laughs> because he, yeah. he really he loved that character. Because yeah. remember yeah. when he died? He even started almost crying yeah. at one point. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, actually, I really appreciate that you guys brought up like the the part where um, Tyler kicks him off the, off the, the stoop. And uh, like Edward Norton's character, like kind of says, like, "Hey, man, like, no, no, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave." Little did he know he just signed his death warrant. Yeah, yeah, yep. Um, yes, yeah, character. So, uh, so from there, um, we, we of course figure out that the reason why um, why Jack goes to these meetings is because he has insomnia; he can't sleep. He goes to these support groups um, after a, a doctor probably it, the doctor like probably didn't fucking mean it like you know like you know what no pain is whatever go to first first Methodist and see the guys with testicular cancer yep that's pain choose some valerian he, he, he probably didn't even fucking mean it like you know like but he like everyone was just like okay and goes over there sees that cries gets that emotional release and is able to sleep um but of and he's course, addicted. Yeah, and then he becomes an addict. Yeah. yeah. Um, so from there, like he he you know doesn't want to get caught, so he starts coming up with like all these like these insane fucking names like Rupert and Travis, which by the way are references to uh, to movies. Travis uh, from uh, from Taxi Driver. Oh my Travis! Oh my God! Yeah, Robert. Yeah, that's crazy. What's the other Rupert? So uh, Cornelius from Planet of the Apes. Oh my God! Yep. Yeah, they're all they're all references to the movies. That's some so good the, back history you found out. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, That's and awesome. I, I got one more. So this one's funny. So this one is from the graphic novel sequel. So like, so the graphic novel sequel um, kind of replays the the last part of the movie, but it sort of rationalizes. Like even even Chuck Palahniuk's like, yeah, this like this desperate rationalization for a sequel because at the end of Fight Club, like Tyler's dead. Like you know, right. like, the character's supposed to be like killed off or whatever. Like or that part of of Jack is supposed to be killed off. Um, so he re like he rationalizes like how Tyler's still alive and how right. this is all going to work out. Um, but they 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 talk about 
um, where he's in the in the support groups, and one of his names is Running Wolf. And somebody asked him about it, and then he's just like, he's like, yeah, full, full, full blood of Navajo. <laughs> fucking, he's like super white bread too. Like, like I tell people that I'm half Native American, and they're like, yeah, whatever, whitey. And I'm like, I swear to God, and they're like, no. <laughs> yeah. So when Jack's in the support groups, of course, like there's Chloe. She's described as like as Meryl Streep's skeleton that's been like dipped in wax. She's like this depressing lady who's dying dying of cancer and all she wants to get it all she wants all she wants is just to be laid like one last time so i gotta ask you guys would you absolutely oh my God. wouldn't even hesitate i would toss her you. the bone of her life <laughs> and also to know hey. in my head that i'm the last dick she'll ever take would make me feel even better i am helping her out and being the, the last one I would, oh, I would absolutely wasn't even hesitate i would do her twice and uh, three times on sunday morning how about you lenny oh we're gonna ask me okay <laughs> <laughs> I'm always number four. I'm always the last one. Oh, so God. I like so, hearing all your opinions first. Here's the thing. Two things about that. One, if you suck, it's going to suck because that's the last dick she ever got, and it wasn't that great. Like who's she going to fucking tell? <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Two, I got to tell you, and this is going to make you laugh, but every single time I've seen that movie, including the first time, I've looked that woman up and down during the scene because you know me, I have a big heart, and I'm very sympathetic, and I and I, I want to be. I'm a people pleaser, and I'm like, if I was single, I'm like, I can't, man, I can't. Like uh, she's so, I just can't. Pussy. I don't honestly, no, I don't, I don't think I could get aroused enough. I just don't. Like she's just, she's got, she literally, yeah, she's like, <laughs> I, I have nitrate. I have <laughs> pornographic movies. I can't, man. Like I was watching it, and I was like. If I was there, and, I'm, and I, every single time, like I've seen that, and I'm just like, I, I can't, dude. I, I couldn't do it. Shit. Nah. Ah. Damn it. You're all three of you looking at me like I get, ah, all right. Uh, my opinion on what I would do. Wait a minute. Dirty pervert, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You know what? To make this woman happy because she's leaving this world, I'm doing her a favor. It's like, you know what? The hell with it. Just go with it. I'm going to give her her last. You know, hoo-ha. Wait a minute, hoo-ha? That's, that's pussy. Yeah, yeah you're pussy. a pussy. Yeah, you're I'm a pussy. <laughs> that, that just sounded bad. Uh, anyways, yes, I, I would I would do that for... Uh, if I was single, of course. I, I gotta be single, but I, I would do that. I would definitely help her out. Bring How about your, you, Tyler? Bring your bony ass back here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, no. Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. Like, um, yeah, and it's... It, it, to, to, I, you know, I'm such a giving person to honor a dying woman's <laughs> last wish. So, of all the people here, I'm, you're the only, I guarantee you I'm the most sensitive, and I'm the douchebag that won't do it. I just no, you're can't. A you're a dick. You're, judge, you're judgmental. What an you're asshole, super, oh, you're, you're superficial. God. She's scary looking. <laughs> yeah. There it is. Put your There's the truth. Come on. Okay. You're her last piece of Maybe dick. if I closed my eyes... Maybe that would work, you know. And it's funny because they never say in the movie whether or not it actually That's what happened. I'm wondering yeah. when, did when Marla happen? was did saying that happen? Chloe died and she was telling that Norton. The first thing pops. I head. was hoping that he would ask. Do you know she did, got laid? Did she get, <laughs> yeah. Did someone? Did someone step up to the plate? Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Fight Club has a loose end. Never got tied up. Did, Damn it. Did Chloe ever get hers? <laughs> so from there, especially with the, I believe the first time you ever see a glimpse of Tyler is when the doctor is telling him like, you know, to choose him for layer and root um, or like, you know, and then to go to, go to this support group to see actual pain. There's a, a glimpse of Tyler. And then Jack, Jack goes to, goes I wanted to, to bring that up. goes to the first meeting. And then 
when the the leader of the support group um, is like is saying like you know I look around this room and I see like you know like uh, I can't remember what exactly what it says whatever like but it actually mirrors a uh, the opening of another speech that Tyler does later in the um, uh, in the movie where he's like where he says I look around this room and I see the strongest smartest men that like that ever lived yeah pumping gas like you know um but anyways like it mirrors that conversation anyways like so during that support group you see another flash of tyler there's multiple flashes of tyler leading up to um leading up to uh um to when he actually meets him um, yeah, i think i counted four flashes and then the first time you actually physically physically see him is on the in the airport yeah but you also those then, flashes were supposed to be kind of like a uh, resemblance of the cigarette burns yeah absolutely of the cigarette burns remember yeah. that thing where they did the whole yeah, theater where they the put porno. that big cock up apparently on the and i really screen i really wish i could watch this film for the first time again not yeah. not know this yeah. stuff going in and because i cannot remember what I thought when I, cause those flashes are absolutely they're, instantaneously, they're like second, but you, you recognize it. Yeah. And I cannot think of what I thought was going on when I first saw the film. Right. Knowing my thick fucking skull, I probably didn't even notice, honestly. Yeah. First time around. Well, I mean, like to be, I to, be to be fair, like you know, if you blink, you miss it. You know, yeah. it's like it's so fast. It, it's like but him, it's, and it's also like him, just like almost like leaning, basically just just chilling out. Basically. Well, like the one where with the I've um, actually paused with to the see support what he's group doing. guy. He's got his arm around the yep. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> They're fucking hilarious. But you have to actually be like waiting for it and looking for it to yeah. really catch it. Yeah. So like, so I like that because it's really cool. It's a, it's sort of like a. a double like innuendo or like or entendre like of not only is it referencing like the splicing of the porno into like into the into the movie reels but it's also like like sort of like tyler in the theater. Tyler's <laughs> being created tyler right? yeah. tyler like is is becoming more and more a part of his life um and mm. uh, and that they, they kind of build on that later too if you ever like look at brad pitt like apparently he becomes more muscular and like and more like he appears stronger throughout like throughout the film because like as it's a it's a it's a reference to him actually becoming stronger and becoming more part of Jack's life, taking over, essentially. Yeah. Uh, I never called that. That was good. Yeah. yeah, no, because, like, when he has the shaved head and he's kicking the shit out of Oh, my Edward God, Norton, that's an amazing scene, and he's too. he's fucking big, man. Dude, I, yeah. love, I, love the, I love the Bruce Lee reference, too. Whoa! Yeah, he's sitting there and he's like, <laughs> yeah, like dude. Wanda. Yeah, that was fucking great. Yeah, that, that scene at the end, I know we're going right back to the end here or there, but that fucking sequence of him just uh, kicking his ass and then looking at the, the cameras of the building and just seeing him being dragged, it's, it's, you're which just I, wondering, how did that happen exactly? Which I have, a, I have a comment on that, yeah, because that's... That, you you're not to derail saw how too it much. happened when Ed Norton well, but, was having the discussion well, with but, his boss well, but, yeah, <laughs> later that, on in the film. That, well, well, yeah, exactly it, how it happened. I know, but you but see him there's a scene. There's one scene in the entire movie, in my opinion, where I'm like, hold on a second, how the fuck is that even physically possible? Because you can clearly see... Something, and it's not his hands. When he's being pulled? Something fucking dragging him. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. And you can't, you can't simulate that by yourself because his ass is clearly up off the ground I think as that's he's being, shuffling no, his feet. I think that was addressed um, when Tyler was talking to the narrator um, saying that sometimes you're, you looking at me, sometimes you're me and you see yourself watching me. Right. So he very well could have been imagining you know, Tyler dragging the narrator while he was the Tyler at that time. Yeah. yeah I guess that's, yeah, it's, it's very mind bendy. Um, so 
what one thing that I, another line that, of this movie that I really really loved was when Jack is like his in his uh, he's in one of the support groups and uh, he like he walks in Marla walks in and, uh, and she's like you know like this is cancer right and she takes like a big exhale of her, of her cigarette that's an amazing scene by it the is way. it's like that slow motion <laughs> with the cigarette just pooling out and everything yeah. oh. and then Marla ruined it and oh like, yeah and so like so she's sitting in, in like with them and they're they're like they're going into their safe spaces and um finally like they're power animals and and like and he's just like seething he can't focus because like here she is like you know like this faker this tourist or whatever and he's like if i had a tumor i name it marla which be- <laughs> which which became i like, actually became a thing for me like from that point on growing up like every time i like somebody had like a wart or a cold sore one of the guys i worked with had a hernia i'm like did you name it yeah <laughs> well that scene where she uh where it shows like almost like him like imagining him just pulling marlon like shaking her says get away from me that th- i need this you know this you big th- liar you're not a part of this but it's he, in the, he, yeah no you go ahead uh, the fact that he kept calling her a tourist and i'm like you motherfucker you're doing the same fucking thing and you are being a hypocrite and that's just it is yeah. that he's yeah. upset because she is a, rep, a physical representation of his fucking lie and he doesn't want to be faced with it so he's like yeah. get the fuck out of here so i can continue to be in imaginary land and he can't do it anymore because yeah. she's ruining it yeah her yeah. Li- her lie mirrored his lie yeah yeah so yeah so um anyways so they, start, they start arguing about like how they're going to split the split the groups up um and uh Marla said in the book that Marla says that like that the the support groups help her feel alive because up until that point she lived a pretty sheltered life she'd never seen a dead body um so like so when she's around all these people who are actively dying um it gave her um it, it gave her a purpose um, I would have never thought that she lived a sheltered life by the way the actress played it I thought she lived a fucked up fucking raising of a life and I, that's what I would have assumed by the way she was portraying it. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, you know, there's also people out there like where they're, they're, they're raised like a sheltered person or like, where they, they're raised like in a pretty privileged household, like they're, they're rich kids. Um, and then like they, they, they abuse their parents, you know, like, and the parents yeah. are eventually like, you know what, you're cut off. And so like the, she, she very well could be, uh, like somebody like that. But in the book, that's how she's portrayed. She's portrayed as a person like who, mm. who's never seen a dead body before. So she has nothing to compare it to. Really? So, yeah. So that's the reason why she goes to the support group. So she has a, a better, um, basically. So she appreciates life a little bit more. That's why she's there. She, well, see, I've, I always thought that she mm. found an attorney because remember the line that she said that, you know, it's free coffee and, uh, something Cheap, to do better than, than, than cheaper than a movie. Yeah. yeah so, mm. yeah, no, like in the book, they kind of, it goes into a little deeper that they're actually there for very, very similar reasons. Oh, Okay. All right. So that that is one difference from the book and the movie. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. So, so speaking of differences from the book, uh, so in the book, uh, Jack actually meets Tyler on a nude beach. Uh, he uh, Tyler he, he wakes a nude beach. A nude beach. Yeah. That is weird. What I would the not fuck? have thought Edward Norton's character would ever even visit a nude beach. Yeah. Is he a pervert or something? Or yeah, I don't know, man. I, I my, my rationale behind it was like I think that. He really didn't know what he wanted out of life. Um, you know, he's like, he did what he was told to do, went to college, got a job, everything like that. And now he's just kind of like, well, now what? And so he does what other people do for vacations. Like, you know, like they go to French beaches or whatever, like, or new beaches. Um, I guess you know, like, that, yeah. Yeah. You, know, you do what everybody else does because you're like, well, they seem to enjoy it. Maybe I'll like it. And, like, right. and I think that's kind of like, he's sort of like this aimless person where he doesn't really know what to know where to go with his life. So, so uh, the setup of, of how he meets Tyler is like, is that he's laying on a new beach. Um, and it's like, it's later in the afternoon and like, you know, and he sees, sees like, uh, sees Tyler, like this dude with like, with like the stringy blonde hair to dragging, um, driftwood out of the surf. And, uh, and he's I really like, thought you were going to say dragging like a chick or something. I have to ask this. I know, cause it's gotta be quick about this, but, uh, is his character look exactly like in the book? 
with the the hair like the way he is and everything? Yeah, I have no idea. Like, okay. you know, all they say is like, is that so? In the book, it says like that. You know, like uh, Tyler with his blonde blonde hair stringy, like hanging in front of his face. Like, it doesn't get into like into really like. Gotcha. The only difference I could I could assume is like is that in the book Tyler's hair is longer than Brad's pit. Brad Pitt's oh, okay. like in the, gotcha. in the movie, but whatever. Uh, to me, it's kind of like kind of a moot, moot point, like not a really important detail. Um, but yeah, so like so Tyler's dragging like this this uh, these this driftwood out of the surf and he like he's arranging it like in a very very specific pattern um and uh like he's like standing it up on end and like and he's standing in the middle of it and like and jack looks over and he's like uh and tyler says what time is it and uh he looks at his watch and he says it's it's 406 and the driftwood has cast a perfect shadow of a hand and he's standing in the center like in the palm of this the shadow of this hand and and he says like that you know like an entire lifetime uh, is is equal to like a moment of perfection. Hmm. Like you can work an entire lifetime, whatever, for a single moment of perfection, and that's all you get. Sometimes, hmm. I like that. Now, let me ask you: Which introduction would you prefer? I like the I like the the movie one. You like the one on the airplane? Yeah, okay. yeah. Just like they're they're exchanged back and forth. Um, I like that. I like that a lot more. I well, do they? T- because also the discussion about soap is also on the uh, airplane too. That I'm sure that doesn't come up on the nude beach, does it? Yeah, no, it comes up. It comes up later. It does not come up on the nude beach. Okay. And honestly, I think that, in my opinion, yeah, the airplane makes more sense because, you know, a very large chunk of his life is being on airplanes right. and traveling to do his fucking job, and I feel like. That's sort of where it, it's a good representation of where he has he finally has a fucking psychotic break because that's honestly what that is when all of a sudden he's picturing a person right next to him that's not fucking there it's all in his head we don't know that yet until at the end obviously but the fact that he has that moment that psychotic break where he finally splits unknowingly and it's in the middle of a flight to go do to either go to or from another fucking part of his job that he fucking hates. It's just this mundane life he doesn't fucking like. The fact that that psychotic break happens in the middle of that, I think, makes a lot more sense that that would would, would be what triggers it. Right, and so, I really like the interaction of where he's like single serving friends. And, yeah, uh, Tyler's just like, oh, you proud of yourself? You feel clever? Like, oh, How's yeah. that working out for you? Um, oh, yeah. And, yeah. and just basically <laughs> just says, you're being a fucking douche. <laughs> right? yeah. And just calls him out of his shit. And just knowing that later on in the film, you realize that is Edward Norton's character telling himself, you're being a fucking douche. Yeah. All right. And calling him out on his bullshit. Right. Yeah. Yeah, now, as I pass, do I give you the crotch or the ass? Yes. And then he gives the the flight the flight attendant the, like the crotch. I love that. Fuck, yeah. love that. I like love <laughs> Tyler Durden's dialogue in that movie. Just his quotes and his things that he says whenever Edward, Edward Norton's character says something is perfect. Well, and, and he, his, he even says later on in the movie that he is everything Edward Norton's character wants to be. Yes, he's intelligent. You, good point. He's good point. Smart. He's he's good looking. He's every. He's great in bed. He's everything that he's not, so it's it's fucking awesome. Well, I remember he's, he's great in bed, but then he's also Marla. It doesn't really matter. Or what, what was the thing that he said? He said something like, "It's no difference to Marla." No difference way. to Marla. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that Edward Norton is this is another one of the roles that he'll be forever remembered for. And his first role was the one where he played the uh, American History X. No, no, that wasn't his first role. You talking about Edward Norton's first role? Yeah, the the one where he got the Oscar nod, where he was, oh, um, Primal Fear, Primal Fear, yeah, yeah. where he was Ooh. playing somebody who had knowledge, potentially right. split personality, also, um, and the fact that two of the two of the major films he'll be remembered for is playing somebody with a split personality disorder or <laughs> portraying a split personality disorder. Yeah, I got another one for you, Hulk. 
Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. shit, that yeah, is your like personality. Right. You're yeah. that's, absolutely right. You, you got a point, yeah. You're absolutely right. In fact, going to just do just a quick little uh, preview, we are going to be doing that for the small batch episode, a Hulk episode. Fuck just yes, so, I will be there in the for future. that. Yes. That's, my, that's my bread and butter right there. Sorry, get back to the movie. Oh, yeah. So from there, uh, you know, he gets off you the plane. You better be ready for fucking Hulk. Huh? <laughs> I, got, I got deep knowledge. I don't need throwing Amadeus Chow at you. I'm going to be throwing everybody at you. I'll be ready. <laughs> So from there, uh, he gets off the plane, and like this, a perfect series of events happens right afterwards. He loses, like he loses his luggage um, because, like you know, one of the throwers, whatever, like you know, uh, feels you have the feels, same suitcase feels it vibrating. Well, there's uh, oh, you're no, talking no, no, about no, that? He's, no, he's talking about like his dildo. luggage. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Like yeah, in the case of a dildo, we have to use the indefinite article like the like whenever ever like you know using Not your, your your dildo. <laughs> it's, always, it's always like you know the dildo never. Your dildo. He's like, I don't own a dildo. And the guy's <laughs> He's like, just like, like the it off. Yeah. Sure, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. So, anyways, like, so from there, uh, you know, then, of course, like, you see Tyler, like, steal a car. And then, like, yeah, you know, see that guy running and says, hey, that's my car. <laughs> not anymore, bitch. Be- believe it or not, I didn't notice that until, like, have a couple times seeing the movie. I did not. I thought that was actually him driving just a car. And it was just him seeing it. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't pay attention and see that guy chasing him say, that's my car. Yeah. I didn't now, notice that part. One thing I'm wondering is, we know Tyler slash uh, Ed Norton blew up the condo. Um, right. Did he also somehow lose his own fucking luggage? I mean, because the whole point was he had lost everything. Well, at, you remember on the airplane they were talking Tyler. about how they both had the exact same suitcase because it, it was not, No, the same briefcase, briefcase which is a carry-on. But uh, yeah. he's looking for his suitcase, which has, you know, his his uh, suitcase shirts, his uh, suitcase toothbrush, you know. So that could have, so, it could have had um, a dildo on there, actually. Yeah, I'm just wondering if, because the whole point was for him to hit hit rock bottom, quote-unquote, um, to have to go to Tyler right. and turn to him, he lost everything that he owned in this world, and that would include the contents of the suitcase as well as the condo. Yeah, I think that he preemptively set himself up for that psychotic break and in a way so that he would have no choice but to, almost like a fail-safe, he'd have no choice but to turn to Tyler. Absolutely, that's what I'm wondering. How how could he have set himself up to for them to lose a suitcase? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but that kind of sets up uh, my, one of my favorite parts. Uh, like they're in the beers, and and Jack's kind of lamenting, like you know, like all of his burned shit. And he's like, he's like, I had this, I had that. Like you know, like I was, I had a wardrobe that was like becoming respectable. Yeah. And Tyler just kind of apathetically says, like, shit, man, now it's all gone. Like he just doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, the last like, couch you'll ever buy. Well, he um, also doesn't. He also say he says, in, was he, did he send in that part side of the bar where basically this stuff starts to own you, basically? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes. He, yeah then he kind of starts to like to sort of like free Jack from like from his li- from like from the life that he's living. He kind of like starts to like to make him help him realize like the, the the how meaningless it is like to treasure possession. Yeah. You know, like that like that the things you own eventually end up, end up owning you. Materialism is not a way to live your life. Uh so uh for, like for all the crazy shit Tyler does, like you know, like there are certain things that like, you have to appreciate like of his message. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So anyways, and then and then it jumps to the scene when they walk outside of the bar. Yeah. And then Tyler gives the greatest quote right there, I want you to hit me as hard as you can. Yeah. Amazing scene. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, uh, Edward Norton proceeds to punch him in the ear for real. <laughs> punch me that, in the fucking ear. Like. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm okay. No, that's perfect. Boom. Boom. Just... He hits him in the gut. And, yeah, they start going back and forth. Yeah. yeah. Uh, side note, uh, Lou's was a uh, was actually a, a operating strip club at the time. It's been torn down since then, but it was like it was a, it was a operating strip club. Really? Yeah. Have you guys ever been in a, you guys ever been in a fight? 
Yes. Yes. There is a lot. You get that adrenaline rush when you get into a fight. So actually, there's a little bit of enjoyment to doing it because you're. Do you, you ever feel that way? Mm-hmm. Have you ever been in a fight? Yeah. Yeah. So that actually, I can understand the whole thing in Fight Club and how it, you, you get addicted to wanting to fight because you get addicted to the adrenaline, basically. Now, I will say this. Um, I, I don't know how many fights you guys have been in, but for me, like the 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 fight, one of the fights that I was in was. Sort of like Fight Club in a sense. It was con- it's in, in a controlled environment, um, right? And I, I don't care throwing it out there. That's fine. But it was for um, basic peace officer training a long time ago. I'm not that anymore. But um, in that, I had to. You have three rounds, and they have three different people. They're all fresh. You're and and you're fresh at least for the first round. The first person comes at you fifty percent for two minutes. Then you get a 30-second break. Then you have a two-minute fight with someone who's coming at you 100%. 30-second break, and then another fight. Two minute, And then the third fight goes as long as the instructors believe it needs to go until they think that you're done. Yeah. And when they say 100%, they're not fucking kidding. And, like, us as students, we were not allowed. To, we're, we are very limited in what we're allowed to do. But the people we were fighting, they, granted, they're wearing gloves, but they're allowed to do whatever they wanted. And, I mean, the guys I fought were, like, 50, 60 pounds heavier than me. And uh, they, one of the guys in particular, I'll never forget, when he hit me, I literally I felt like he was trying to rip my head clean off my body. It, and, it, like, when you get punched by someone who's hitting you as hard as they fucking can, it's something you'll never forget. That feeling is something you'll never forget. It fucking hurts. Like, my head felt like at three times the size of, of my normal, the way it should be. And I'm like in a fog and I'm, I can't see properly. I can't hear properly. Like your senses get dulled. Like it's no fucking joke. So for people who have never been in a real fight and have never been like, like legit fucking hit really hard. It's a huge wake up call to, to your existence and, and what your pain tolerance is, what you can handle. And the only other thing I'll throw out there is that the one thing I will say about fighting too, is that, when you get in a fight in the real world, and it's not a controlled environment like in Fight Club, I, I want to say it's even it's even worse because there is that slight possibility you could fucking die. Like, there's no control if you're in a fight with another person and it's just a fight. So, you know, it's, it's fucking intense. And to piggyback on that, um, I know you can't tell when you see my wonderfully mushy physique that I have now. <laughs> um, when I w- was serving, I did box... Uh, for the uh, military, and uh, you're absolutely right. When you have somebody coming at you each and every fucking time, you know, trying to fucking lay you out, trying to put your lights out, yeah. um, it does. It gives you a good wake-up call to the real world. And that's why I, I personally loved it is when you came out of that, you were more in touch with reality than yeah. before going in. Right. Absolutely. It wakes you up. So, like, so one thing that I, that um that I've got from like from fighting, like I've never been in like in a like a like a like a real fight where like where somebody like was trying to kill me, like you yeah. know, like but like but I've done, I've been in jujitsu classes, I've been in taekwondo, or we've done sparring and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one thing that that I, that I took away from it is that you spirit you experienced like the highest highs and the lowest lows in a fight, yeah, right? yeah. like where yeah. like where you're winning you feel like like powerful like you feel like you know like you got this like you know like you know like this guy's fucking dog me like he's fucking done, um, but like when you're losing. You feel like the most like desperation. You feel it, it hits you at the core, especially yeah. Not not being sexist because I'm sure that women feel something similar. But like for a man to yeah. be def- like, de- 
defeated by another man. It sucks. It's a really shitty feeling. Yeah. Yes. Especially like in like when you're doing like you're doing rounds, you know, like or like the fight's just like really, really long. Like in like yeah. and you like you you're like you're doing like this like this like mental fucking like you know like chess in your head like you're trying to figure out like what like what will work to like to beat this guy or whatever and it seems like everything you Absolutely. try yeah. everything you try is just like it's not working he's just a little bit faster he's like he's just a little bit stronger and you're like fuck like what like have I gotten like, myself into well <laughs> I mean like you're just like and like and you're just like because you still like you still don't want to lose you know like you know you still want to come out on top like but like you're just like you're you're at a loss you're like what the fuck else do I need to do like and like right. Like, I'm no match for this guy or whatever. Like, what the fuck am I going to do? And, like, and you still have, like, you know, like, one or two more rounds left or whatever, and you know you're going to lose this shit. And it's just, like, it's the most, like, hopeless, desperate feeling. Yeah. So, like, so you can experience, like, the highest highs and the lowest lows. Right. But one thing that I really liked you said, like, like that you said, man, like, is that you know yourself afterwards. Absolutely. Yep. You know what you are. Mm -hmm. Know what your, what your right, limits cool. are. Let's actually get back into the movie. <laughs> yeah. All right. Is that so, what we're here for? Yeah. yeah, yeah, man. That's it's, it's we're supposed to be good. talking about a movie, not fighting. Well, it is fight. It's club. a movie about fighting. Exactly. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Sorry, go Tyler. So, uh, yeah. So, Basically. so from from there, from there, uh, Jack and Tyler become like become fast friends. Um, and one of my favorite one of my favorite uh, favorite conversations in the movie is like is where they yeah. ask, uh, like you know, if you could fight anybody, who would it be you know living like living or dead? Um, me personally, like uh, I think that like that somebody like. Hugh Glass, he was the guy from like the the movie that the the Revenant was based on. You know, oh, talking about the yeah. guy, that's no, yeah, yeah, yeah that, the that'd bear. be a tough motherfucker, man. <laughs> exactly, yeah. like, you know, like you know, when you fight somebody like that, like that is somebody like you're going to again, like know know who you are. Like that is a tough motherfucker, um, and the fact that he lived through that much, you know, like and still and still survived. That is that is a that would be a hell of a of a fucking opponent. Yeah. Um, that and somebody like um. Um, somebody like Cameron Haynes, he's like, he's the ultra marathon runner, um, like in, and bow hunter and everything like that. Like, you know, like killer fucking athlete, killer cardio, whatever. But the thing about Cameron Haynes, like, is that he's always smiling and he's such a nice fucking guy. Like, you know, like I want to see him angry. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Stu? I think I would want to fight Reagan in his prime. Reagan? Yes. <laughs> I can totally, I can tell you right now, I would see Reagan doing the, the, the traditional exactly. Notre the Dame. The Marcus Queensberry rules or yes, some shit like dude. that. He just, like, right after he got done, you know, acting, and he was just getting ready to go into politics and stuff like that. He's like, well, I'm going to kick your ass now. I, 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 I think he's like a badass in his mind, and I was just like, it seemed like a fun guy to fight. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, got a good, I got a good one. Go ahead, you. Um, so I'm kind of, I will say probably two and they're both celebrities want to be Russell Crowe because the dude, really? like, they make fun of him about how, Oh, this fight. Duh, duh, duh. So I'd be like, I want to see you put your money where your mouth is and let's actually fucking brawl and see what you got. No cell phones. The other one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the other one, and you guys are going to laugh, but it, there's a reason why I would love to fight Steven Seagal. And the reason why is Steven Seagal. Steven Seagal. No, like, I told, I told you're you. talking about like right, I, right now in his prime, I don't care. And the reason why is because that motherfucker went through his career like, Oh, I'm this Billy badass and this and that. But whenever, and this actually, there was a there was actually a story where he, on, I forget the movie that he was on, but this was when he was in his prime, and he challenged like this stuntman, and the stunt because the stuntman was tired of his shit, like the guy Steven Seagal for whatever he's worth, and this is what I've heard from many different celebrities' mouths that he's not easy to work with, he's a fucking jerk, he's he's got a head this big, yeah, and he thinks he's the fucking most badass guy walking on the planet, um, and a lot of people placate to that for some reason. Well, anyway, it's a stuntman. Just a no, nobody guy was sick of his mouth, and he's like, you know what, motherfucker, I've had enough, let's do this. <laughs> and Steven Seagal's like, all right. And they fought, 
And within seconds, this stuntman fucking got him in a chokehold and choked him the fuck out. Oh, my God. So, you know, yeah, I would love to fight him to see if he, how legit he really is. I really would. I would have to go with Robert De Niro. <laughs> yes. Robert De Niro. I, I, I would say Raging Bull Robert De Niro, or would I say now Robert De Niro, who wants to... <laughs> You know, punch the Trump, uh, punch the uh, president in the face. No politics, but uh, basically, yeah, Robert De Niro would be my pick for a fight. I think he would be a good pick. He's actually the same height as me, and uh, I think it would be nice and even. Well, I think Raging Bull Robert De Niro would, would kick my probably ass. destroy it. Yeah, I, I probably. <laughs> and you know what the funny thing is? You brought up Russell Crowe and Robert De Niro. They both played boxers in movies. Yeah, uh, Cinderella Man and Raging Bull. And so yeah, he was awesome in Cinderella Man too. Oh, great movie. Shout Better out, than well, out. not as, but Raging Bull is, is a classic. Yeah. I hate. I, I'm not a fan of right of uh, Robert De Niro now, but I love his past movies. Back to you, Tyler. All right, so prepare to evacuate soul. This is the part where. Uh, Marla calls uh, calls the house and tell and tells uh, Jack that she just like swallowed a bunch of pills. She accidentally committed suicide or tried to commit suicide. Yeah. Um. And he just kind of hangs the phone up. And of course, Tyler's in the background with a pair of nunchucks, like you know, like acting like he's Bruce Lee. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I uh, love how he just grabs the phone, just like puts it slow to his ear, and just like smiling. Yeah. And so, like, so you get you get, get to the scene where like where he goes like and, and saves her and like and you're like, oh, don't worry about him. He's not a, he's not a threat to you. Uh. So, anyways, like, um while they're fucking in bed um and like she like they both kind of like kind of lay back and she's like oh i haven't been fucked like that since grade school <laughs> so a difference a difference between like the the book and the movie is like is that in the book she says uh like um i want to have uh, like i want to get pregnant and have your abortion what yeah <laughs> what the that. fuck yeah yeah, I can see that. yeah so uh, wow yeah exactly so like so that's another, another thing about chuck polinick as i mentioned before he's very controversial versatile the guy does not hold anything back he just goes for it um and that was a line and so like so initially they they had that line and of course like fincher and like in the in the movie the uh the studio was just kind of like uh i don't know if we can say that let's let's try for some other things whatever and they come up with like with the grade school comment which was still pretty fucking good yeah yeah, yeah. i mean it's even in our intro so yeah, yeah and like and they like the studio gets it and they're like can we do the abortion one <laughs> <laughs> yeah because you hear that and you go well, wait, what, grade school? Oh, shit. And then you think about the age, and you're like, oh, my God. It, the other thing you had to point out is the stylized sex scene, just the way that it was filmed and how it was just like a slow-motion, like, surround-camera matrix-style type of sex scene, and then you, can see, you can't see... Edward Norton's face, or Tyler Durden's face, so it's yeah. not showing his face. It's more you. focused on her. Yeah. And I thought that was actually pretty neat how they did that. Yeah. Well, it's because, I mean, kind of shown almost from... Uh, Edward Norton character's point of view because he was having the sex dream. Yeah, uh, what he thought was the sex dream. Good point. Good point. Um, so uh, of course it's going to be more focused on her because it's what he's seeing. Yeah, it makes sense. I never thought about that. It's good. So uh, again, like another one of those things like where um, you uh, it makes a lot more sense when you watch it the second when you watch it the second time. Uh, so. Uh, Jack is downstairs and like, and he, he thinks that like the, that the, the fucking Marla thing was like, was just a dream. So he's sitting there at the table, like, you know, eating cereal or something like that. Like, and he's, he's like, you won't like, you won't believe like the dream I had. And she's like, I can barely believe anything about last night. And he's like, <laughs> and the, it's like, it's the best fucking thing because like, cause Marla, like, you know, like she's gargling water and like, and you know why she's gargling water and she kind of like gives him, gives him a wink and a smile or whatever and spits it out. And like in the, the, his immediate response to that is the best ever. He goes, why are you here? Yeah. What are you doing in my house? She's like, yeah. 
fuck you and like and leaves like and she it, played it so well yeah that, dude. you know now, she, you were she was generally hurt now everybody knows everybody knows the ending who everything is now when you guys first watched that movie did you know no dude i didn't catch on that and i, I wanted to talk about so. this just for a second i didn't catch that at all okay and i gotta say like watching it now especially watching it with more of a critical eye this time around it it was almost slightly painful to watch because i'm watching her right and i'm like man that's fucked up dude because yep. like she's like this guy bangs the fuck out of her and she and is apparently telling her like sweet nothings in her ear because she even talks about you know, like him being sensitive and all these things and then the very next morning he's literally a completely fucking different person she doesn't know any better right and, and you're like watching this girl get tortured over and over again emotionally by this guy and you're like man that fucking sucks dude yeah like I actually felt for her, but she keeps coming back for it. Well, I mean, the dick was. She wants I that. Mean, so she, she wants that dick. You got to pay the price. We've all fucked crazy bitches. That we had to deal with that shit too. Hey, right. man, if I want to drink to that, holy fuck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Uh, my drink's empty, and I'm not drinking to that at all. <laughs> I love my wife. Please don't be mad at me. Want a punishment shot? No. <laughs> all right, all right. So from there, they uh, they work into uh, making this uh, making soap. So another difference from the book and the movie in the book. The, the initial batch of fat they have is not from the liposuction clinic. It's really? actually, yeah, it's actually Marla's mother's fat. What? Oh, yes. what? Yes. So Marla. What the fuck? So <laughs> just like, so, well, I'm, I'm going to explain why. So like, so uh, Helena Bonham Carter, um, both like, you know, the actress and the character Marla, like they're very skinny people. Um, and so like, so the, the thing is like, is that Marla is afraid that like that she's going to lose her lips as she gets older, her lips are going to get thinner. So she wants to get collagen injections and the best fat that you can use is your own. Well, the problem is that she's skinny, so she can't like, she can't harvest any fat off her body right now. Yeah. So she figures that the next best thing is to get fat from her mother. Who's again, like she's, uh, you know, her mother's very, very well off, very wealthy. She just doesn't share with Marla. Like she has, um, all this fat that she got from like from her liposuction. And so she mails it to Marla. So Jack steals it and starts making soap with it. That's how they, that's, start, that's how they start. What off. the yep. fuck? That's, I like the preference of the movie weird. better, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, there's another gross scene where like where her, like where she finds out about it and her and Jack start fighting over like the, the bags of fat, one of them falls and bursts in the floor, and they slip in it. <laughs> well, they kind of they kind of did that in this scene in the scene when they go to steal it, it from the liposuction. When it gets caught on the barbed wire, and, and Brad Pitt, uh, Brad Pitt, uh, Tyler Durden falls, and, and him just trying to reach out and catch the fat. Oh, it's cool. Give me another one. Yeah. I almost, I almost can't watch it. I'm like, <laughs> oh so god, that, that sequence is hilarious. And I, I honestly think that's what somebody would do in that case. Just, your brain's not even thinking. You're just, you just know it's product. You're trying to catch it. And, yeah. But Tyler, you said that they slipped in it, and then what happened? Yeah, no, it's like so they they slip in it and everything like that, and they're trying to get up and uh, like just like slipping and sliding and everything, and they start puking and like it's it's a fucking <laughs> it's a gross fucking scene. So it's just like it, it, that's all in the book right there. That's that, in the book. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. So um so then Tyler burns Jack's hand with the uh, with the lie, um and instead of going to uh, his happy place with the cave and the penguin, he actually thinks about a uh, a trip that he took in college. Um, with uh, with some got some friends of his whatever, and they went to Ireland, and they went to the Blarney Stone, and like and everybody knows like the the thing about the Blarney Stone, you kiss it for good luck. Yeah. So they actually went out there and they pissed on it. <laughs> so, Holy shit! Yeah, that so was his happy thought. That was his happy thought. <laughs> to try to try to like to try to block out the pain of his lie burning through the skin I, on the back. Believe of it or not, hand. I actually like that better than the movie, in my opinion. Yeah. So there's yeah. some things I like about the book, but there's some things I like about the movie. So, okay. um, so 
uh, another great quote is like, it's only after we've lost everything are we free to do anything. Um, so in, in Fight Club 2, the graphic novel sequel, uh, the soldiers now uh, all have this thing in common where they have Genesis 6, 11 through 13 tattooed on their necks. Hmm. And uh, in that scripture, it says, God saw the earth was corrupt and full of lawlessness, so he sought to destroy it. That explains the movie uh, right there. Yeah, yeah. Chaos That explains the movie right there. Damn, dude. That explains yeah. what they're trying to do. Yeah. And in the commentary, Edward Norton uh, talks about Nietzsche and, and the idea that like that something has to be completely destroyed in order to make, to make it better. And that when you're young, the idea of nihilism can come in. Uh, the, uh, the idea of nihilism can seem like really, really sexy. But as you get older and you mature, you start to realize the hypocrisy of it. Yeah. So in the scene where, where Jack's boss confronts him about finding the Fight Club uh, rules and the copier, Edward Norton delivers like this pretty intimidating uh, monologue about stalking office to office, pumping round after wrong, round into a colleague and coworker. Um, like, you know, this is someone you may have known your whole life, you know, and, and someone you know, who could be very close to you. And yeah. he's like, right. His yeah. face. He's yeah. like, you know, maybe you should bring every piece AR 10. <laughs> Dude, it's yeah. such powered. a great fucking part. I yeah. love that part. Yeah. And then he rips the paper out of his hand. He's just like, maybe you should just bring me every single tra- piece of trash that you find. Yeah. Um, so great, great line. Um, but, uh, so originally when they filmed that, uh, Edward Norton like delivered this pretty like subdued sort of like medium kind of like way of, of doing it. Um, and they're like, they're like, no, no, we need you to be like, we need you to be scarier. So be more intimidating, be more like, you know, be more forceful, be scary. And so like Edward Norton does like this really fucking like, you know, like heavy one. And, uh, they're, they're like, all right, cool. We're going to, we're going to keep that one. And as they fil- finish filming the movie and they go to post-production or anything like that, Columbine happens. Jeez, oh, what a bad time Ooh. for that to happen. Damn. So they went, they went back and they're like, eh, maybe we should do like the medium one. So yeah. they, they kept the uh, they actually kept the original. Well, see, that's egg. the thing when you were bringing up at the beginning where how this movie would do today. It I don't think it would do well at all today. Oh uh, yeah, no, no. Yeah. I, I think people would find many of people would get offended by cancel something. culture. Yeah, exactly. Dude. This this movie would not do well at all compared to what it did back then. Uh, little little details you might miss. Uh, so the priest that's getting uh, that's getting sprayed with the hose. And he's like, uh, "Excuse me, you uh, you sprayed with the hose right there?" And he like he sprays him right in the face. It's yeah. fucking great. Um, the that priest, you actually see his character arc in the movie. He like you later see him like you know in a fight like. Does he put, become part of the Fight Club? Yeah, he becomes pro- part of Project Mayhem. Yep, really? Uh, yeah, you didn't like, notice him in the background. You see oh, him? No, like, you see him hug, I didn't. Hugging the guy like that. Oh, he, yeah. that like that he uh, that like that he just fought like hugging him like almost crying like you know like oh saying, that was him okay. oh saying, wow like, saying, yep. saying yes yeah like he like he reached like this you know, like, a priest you know like, yeah. like a guy like you know a man of the cloth but, like that devoted his life to God and like you know has, sudden, has suddenly like you know has found this whole other thing like where he finds more fulfillment that is some dark shit well see that's yeah. the thing Fight Club is almost it turns into sort of like a religion to these yeah. guys oh absolutely oh, yeah. Yeah. that's yeah. like a, a way of religion. life absolutely yeah yeah um yeah so uh yeah you see his his character arc he becomes a part of uh, fight club and then later project mayhem um and then uh in the book when uh, when jack beats the fuck out of himself uh, uh in front of the uh um in front of his boss it's actually the manager of the pressman hotel not not the the boss of the motor company really yeah hmm. yeah um and so uh, like again like you know like another great line like the, and from the movie, like where he kind of pauses, throwing himself into the into the uh, the the shelf, yeah. and he's like, he's like, uh, you know, uh, for some reason, I thought of my first fight with Tyler. Like yes. that's that's right. when you yes. should, like when you're paying attention, you should start kind of catching on to like, what, why the fuck, why, like why, and then at the end of the movie, like it all makes sense. So the irony of the members of a uh, Project Mayhem um, is like, is that they're they're these these guys like that are trying to break down the system. They're fighting conformity and by conforming, um, and like that's the funny thing about like about a lot of cults and a lot of communities like that want to break away from society because they always think they can do better. They always end up emulating the rules of the society that they left. 
you know, like in a, gra- yeah. in a, in a great yeah. example is like is like is Chaz or, or Chop or whatever the fucking name it was that they had before they eventually fell apart. Um, the autonomous zone in, in Seattle is that you know this was a a, a radical left like community um, that believed in like in, in no borders and they believed in defund the police and like and as soon as they set up their own like little zone. What was the first thing they do? They start establishing rules. They right. built they built walls, and they had this like this sort of like gangster like you know police that was that was inside inside those walls. Yep. Um. So like that is something that is like that is recurring with all like with all these groups is that as soon as they break away, they end up doing the exact same things. Yeah. Yep. So uh, for a movie that's about like an anarchist domestic terrorist group, um, that seeks to break down the system and frequently like questions God intentions. There's like this underlying message about the value of like of the nuclear family. Um, having purpose in your life and belonging to a community. Um, so like for a lot of people, they kind of judge this movie like on, on face value and like, and they sort of judge it by its cover. Um, there's actually very, very, there's a lot of, a lot of depth to it. There's a lot of layers and the deeper you look, whatever there's actually pretty, there's actually a lot of traditional sort of like sort of wholesome, like, uh, values that can be found within that, mm-hmm. within this movie. Yeah. And a lot of other dark shit, but like, but there's a lot of like wholesome values, whatever that you can find in it. Um, because like there's, there's something definitely said about, about the nuclear family. Um, and something that we see nowadays is like, is that anytime there's like, there's, um, you know, like an area that has like, has a lot of crime or something like that. Like there's also a, a very, very high divorce rate, you know, broken homes, uh, you know, like men raised by single mothers. Um, like, you know, like God bless those mothers. Like they're doing the best that they can with what they Absolutely. have. Yeah. Um, uh, still like, you know, like the, the numbers don't really, really bode well for like, for those men growing up without like a masculine figure in their household, like, you know, having a good father, you know, not just having a father, but actually having a good father. Um, you know, like, so there's something definitely to be said about that. And that when Jack breaks away from his perfect, um, you know, boring but conventional lifestyle, things just start to, like, go horribly awry. You know, buildings are destroyed and people start getting their nuts cut off. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, like, and uh, and there's an argument to, to there's an argument of living a safe, stiff, boring and mechanical life versus like this anarchic, free, dangerous life. And, you know, perhaps there's like a resolution at the end of the movie that like, the, like you know, um, in order to find fulfillment, we have to have a balance of both. Yeah, and I was oh, gonna I, I was gonna comment on that too. I guarantee you that almost every last one of the guys that are in the Project Mayhem, exactly what you're saying, Tyler, don't have probably didn't grow up with a like a good strong male role model in the home, an older brother, a father, something like or that. Or of a broken home. Yeah, they come from a broken home. Every last one of these guys are all most of them are blue collar, nameless no one ever even notices them type people that like like Tyler was saying are just they just want purpose. They want something that makes them feel like they have they have a they have a little tiny spot in this world that this is my spot this is my purpose this is what I do and Tyler comes along br- brilliantly in the movie and and gives them that exact thing you yeah. want a purpose it's my purpose but I'm giving you a purpose and it's going towards something and they cling on to that because no one's ever really given them a purpose yeah well see, that's the thing when they say Robert uh, Robert Paulson right when he gets killed and how yeah. they say his name was Robert Paulson you know they, they they remembered him because he was somebody they going by because none of them had names in Project Mayhem. But then right. when somebody dies, they give him a name. Yeah, when someone dies within Project Mayhem, they have a name. Yes. His name was Robert, Robert Paulson. Yeah, that was that was a brilliant that to me that scene, not to go too far off into the into the woods, but that particular scene I think is where it truly that was the, the defining moment where Project Mayhem became like an entity, its own thing. At this point, Tyler has zero control in a sense, because he can't stop it, he can't do anything about it. It's 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 the, the ball's rolling now. There's no way to, to stop it now. And I think that moment was the moment where he really, truly, that sunk in, like, oh, fuck, what have I done? Right. So. Yeah, so from there, uh, 
Tyler and Jack go for a little car ride. And uh, he ends up like, you know, I'm um, just letting go of the wheel, sort of convincing yeah. him to like to let go of control and like and, and let life happen, like and, and stop trying to control things. And they end up like running in the back of this uh, this disabled vehicle, like, you know, going down, uh, going down an embankment. Um, Jack falls into a falls into a coma and wakes up and, and Tyler's gone and he has no idea where he is. Um, and so he starts like trying to trying to find him, trying to track him down. And uh, it's uh it's in this part, it's in this, uh, the scene where, you know, he's, he's drinking, he's like, he's in the house and everything and, or outside the house. And, uh, Marla walks up to the house and she's trying to find, uh, trying to, uh, trying to, um, Marla comes to the house and like, you know, she of course like thinks that like she's, she's found Tyler. And like, and the first thing Jack says is like, is Tyler's not here. Tyler's gone. And she's like, what? Yeah. And like, and, and you can kind of see like this, like this, conf- this like confused, like, look on her face or whatever. And then there's like, there's genuine hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, to expand on that a little bit, um, I was going to talk about Marla a little bit and the fact that she, like I said, you watch it, you watch it again, knowing what you know, and you actually physically watch her heart get broken over and over again. The first time you watch this movie, she just seems like, you know, like, oh, well, fuck you. I don't like you. But it's not uh, that. It's, well, it's a, I think, well, in the first time, well, I will say this for me. The first time I she, saw she this She was movie, pretty quick on giving him his number. I Yeah, but I saw that as uh, my, my view of Marla was totally different until the end when I realized all the shit that she was being put through. Right. And one of the things that I wanted to touch on, too, real quick with her character is that what I found, you know, very genuine and very attractive about her as a character is that she's like this trashy goth chick that that puts on this facade that she doesn't give a fuck about anything right Mm -hmm. all she wants is you know when's my next you know you know dick down in bed and 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 that's that's basically all she really my next my next uh meal meals on wheels delivery yeah like like she's very instinctual doesn't give a shit about nothing the, the people around her whatever that's that's sort of like throughout the movie that's the portrayal that's being put out there but when she like closer to the end, when he she like shoots himself, and I guess it must have came out his cheek or something like that. But he fucking he fucks himself up, and she looks at his face and she goes, "Oh my god, your face!" And like that moment, you get to really see her as a human. You get to really see the human side of her. She legitimately cares about him, and she's concerned. And and in that moment of weakness where she shows that sympathy, I think is a very attractive, cool thing because it's really showing. Her true colors as a person. Actually, that scene right there alone is just beautiful because right when that happens, he says, "You just you caught me at a really bad time in my life," and then the music just pops in. Yeah, dude. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, which by the way, how freaked out were those two guys in the backseat of that car? Because think about it, there was one person in the front seat who's having an argument with someone that's not. Yeah, he's fucking talking there, to himself, and now they're like. This guy has fucking snapped, and now we're gonna die. But the, you know what? But the, the thing is, they don't <laughs> they care. They it. they honor him. They, that's yeah, the they don't is, care because like, oh, it's an honor because I'm gonna die with 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 Tyler Durton because the they see seat. him as a legend. They see him yeah. as every messiah. It was fucking because nuts, there, man. the scene where Tyler Durden, technically Edward Norton, both it's same characters like traveling, looking for Tyler Durden, looking for himself, basically. And everywhere he goes, they fucking know him, and they're like, "Sir, everything's under control." And he's like, "Which is what? crazy." It's just like throughout the whole country, basically. That was fucking. That was great. Was it? Was throughout the whole country that yeah pretty much yeah he all walks, major he, cities yeah he walks into a, like a restaurant like several hundred of miles away yeah with and the, like the bar bar at the uh bar basically the bartender had that a halo because he'd fucked up his, i guess his which also i like that actor who played that guy yeah <laughs> i've seen him in like a hundred things it's like, I is, like this a, is this a time. trick sir i don't understand <laughs> yeah. is, it, is this a test sir yeah, like, you were <laughs> tried his drone right tried his drone sir like, yeah that, that that part was great 
Yeah, and like when the walks, in, he walks in, and he knows he knows he's in the right place because here he is, hundreds of miles away, whatever. And there's a, a group of them in the kitchen saying his name is Robert Paulson, honoring like you know like one of their fallen brothers. Um, so he knows he's in the right place. Um, and this is this is like this is uh, the build up towards like the big reveal where like where he learns it like that like that he is Tyler Durden and Tyler Durden is Jack and they're the same person. They're one and the same. Cause he just pops up all of a sudden out of the blue and kind of completely different on, to, touching on what Stu said, man, I wish I could almost like in men in black erase my brain yes. to watch this movie again, because that initial fucking mind bend where you're like, what? And you make that realization is, ah, oh, dude, it's so cool. Yeah. And they did such a good job of sprinkling hints in throughout the whole film. Um, the 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 images that we talked about earlier, just yeah. flashing Little on the, cigarette, screen. Yeah, the cigarette burns. Um, even the scene where they're walking and bullshitting and they're hitting cars and setting off the alarms. Uh, the alarms don't go off until Edward Norton's character makes contact. They oh, I didn't don't go that. off. When, I never noticed yeah, that. They do not that. go off when uh, Brad Pitt's character uh, makes contact. It's only when Edward Norton's character goes off. Oh, wow. That's fucking crazy. Anyways. So uh, briefly in the book, the, the book actually poses the question, uh, who is the real person? Um, because even though like the story is told through like through Edward Norton's character's eyes, Jack, um, like you know he doesn't even have a fucking name. So like so is like is Tyler the real person or like or is is Jack the real person? Like you know of course Tyler Tyler rationalizes it and says like you know like you had like you know you, you had all these things that you wanted to do, um, you just didn't have the balls to do it. Like you know you like you know like I. Like uh, I, I, I talk the way you want to talk. I fuck the way you. I'm want all to the fuck. best things about. I'm all the best things that you don't have in your life. Yeah, yeah. but it does. It does. Like it does. Briefly pose the question of like you know like who is the real person? Is it like is it Jack or is it Tyler? Um, and I, I, I just thought that was cool. Um, it sort of reminded me of like of uh, of the end of Blade Runner. Um, how like how the replicants have implanted memories. Um, like how do you know that that Tyler isn't the uh, isn't the real person and his memories of Jack are, and his memories of being Jack are, are real? That is a really. Uh, that that's a great mind like bend. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> it's fucking great, man. So, um, and like, and if Tyler, and if he was Tyler all along, then why didn't he start Fight Club and Project Mayhem sooner? Like, well, yep. Charles Manson didn't start his family until he was thirty three. <laughs> so, so uh, from there, uh, basically, we just have uh, the like the end of the movie. Like, basically, we're, we're right back to where we started, um, and Tyler and Jack have like have like have their showdown. Um, Jack ends up like with with like a with with a gun in his mouth. They have like their back and forth, and Jack ultimately like you know kills that part of himself. He kills he kills Tyler, um, and which I I actually couldn't figure. I, I got to ask you guys because the way that he shot him inside the how is he killing Tyler? It's more the way I understood it, and you guys can absolutely bust my shit if I'm wrong. Um, the way I took it, it was more of a. Um, a symbolic killing of Tyler. He exactly had to do something say, yeah. uh, so dramatic and so insane where he's taking control back. And so he's basically by putting the, the gun in his mouth and pulling the trigger, he's killing Tyler um, and taking control back. He's making that symbolic move. Yes, he did it in the real world, right. but it was more symbolic. Yeah, I, That was always my question at the end of the movie. That's the only part that I always question is like, I don't understand how that works because if he shot, he would have to shoot himself in the brain himself and kill himself in order to kill Tyler. But he's shooting himself off. It just didn't. It's yeah, just something symbolic of yeah, him taking control. A drastic of symbolic action right. or gesture. Yeah, yeah. Um, so from there, like you know, like that. That's 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 pretty much the movie. Like you know, one of the the greatest movies uh, ever made. And really, like the uh, my last question to you guys is uh, like, do you do you guys believe that this movie was more relevant back in 1999, or do you think it's more relevant now? 
I'm going to say it was relevant back in 99. Yes, you can find points to make things match up to nowadays. It's like you could find points that make shit match up back before World War II even started. Um, a good film can stand the test of time. You can find relevant points. But I think it fit the culture and the mentality of everything that was going on in the world, especially in America, um, at the time that it came out is the reason it's so ingrained into our pop culture is because how perfectly it fit everything. It would be, it would do okay nowadays, but it, it would, it wouldn't be a major, major hit because cancel culture would not allow that shit. That's right. That's right. Um, cancel culture would take over. On yeah. That. Uh, but it would be, an, it would become an underground, an underground hit, like a lot of, uh, a lot of films. Yeah. Um, but it wouldn't be nearly the, the level because it wasn't, it doesn't speak to the the times the way it did at that point. Yeah. So um, I will say that as a film. So here's the thing, just real quick. There is a there is a um, an under under unspoken group of people that actually are clinging to everything that is flying in the teeth of cancer culture right now. Kids are getting in trouble for doing. Um, chauvinistic shit on TikTok just because they're so fucking sick and tired of all the cancer shit or the cancer culture stuff that they're actually purposefully going in the other direction. Yeah. I think that the message of this movie would appeal to enough people to make it a big hit. I think critics right now and everything else would shit all over it and be like, oh, this is a fucking horrible movie and all this and that because that's what you have to say. Now, I will say this. Um, as a quick spin to what to my comment is, I think that an actual group of people, Project Mayhem, would be more successful and dangerous now than back then because right now Starbucks and all these fucking corporates have completely taken over. Yeah, and it, it's it's basically like unless you conform to what social me- corporate, social media yeah, social media or corporates yeah. what they think then it do, it's not relevant and yeah. and I think a group of people right now if they actually did that. They would go really fucking far, which is a scary thing to think. But to be honest with you, it, it would it would be it fly directly in the teeth of what's going on with our our culture. I have to agree so. with that. I have to completely agree with that. What about you, Tal? So I was actually waiting for uh, for Ron's point of view. I think it was more relevant back in nineteen ninety nine. I don't think it would work out now, especially with the whole cancel culture. I think that I think people would get very offended by it. Um, I think it does relate to a lot of the things that are going on right now. That I'm, giant cock at the end is really offensive. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> it offends me. Like, oh, God. <laughs> but, um, it's very threatening. <laughs> but, yeah, that's that's basically how I go at it. Okay. All right. Yeah, dude. So I think that, that um, Antifa it was uh, was Project Mayhem come to life. Like, you know, when all that shit was going on. Okay, see, all, I, wanted, shit, I wanted to bring that up. When, when all that shit was going on, um, like, I was just like, this is, this is what Project Mayhem is and or, or was and, and is is like is that they're going out here and they're they're targeting these these corporations because like because they were they targeted like you know walgreens and they targeted uh amazon and they targeted like you know like uh, basically any sort of like you know like corporation out there a lot of like small businesses too which is like was really 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 um the worst part you know like destruction of, of personal property is like is never a good thing but when they start going after small businesses like yeah it's just like you like you're just kicking you're kicking like a lame dog yep I agree with and that. And I feel like that kind of like what you were saying, they started out like 
Yeah, fuck the system. But now they are 100% a pawn and puppet of the system. They go where they're told. They attack what they're told to attack. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, so. and furthermore, man, I really think the movie's a lot more relevant nowadays than it was uh, back in 99. Like, yes, it was relevant, but, like, a lot of those problems that, like, that brought about the writing of the book and brought about the making of the movie are, like, are really just magnified nowadays. Um, the message of how damage, how damaging the lack of purpose uh, in a, and like in your life can be, the, the lack of masculinity in a man's life growing up is profound. Um, General uh, Gerald Howard, uh, Polnick's uh, editor, um, like when he, uh, when they're um, working on this book, said that contemporary young men suffer from an absence of a strong re- uh, male role model and the malaise of meaningless work and the hamster wheel of consumption at IKEA and the Gap and the only and only regeneration through. Uh, through violence could bring them back to a spiritual life. Um, you know, nowadays we're dealing with like, with masculinity being called toxic, and and men nowadays are discouraged from fighting or and and hazing or, or ball busting. Like that's part of being a dude. It's like it's just busting each other's balls. Like yeah. you know, Amen. Other, people, yep. other people see it and they they think that like that like oh they're they're bullying like oh they're hazing whatever that that can't be allowed. And uh, Rob Zombie once said that like that bullies made him into into who he is, and that when he hears anti bully, like he actually hears like sounds more like anti success to me. Because, yeah. like, because you know, some people have to have that dark past. They have to have that darkness, like, uh, um, when they're growing up to rise to be, above it to become who they are. Yep. Um, so, like, so um, you can't have the yin without the yang. You know, you have to have the darkness to to see the light. Um, and that's just that's just a part of life. That's that's reality. Um, nowadays, we have like we have men who wear dresses on magazine covers and are absolutely celebrated. Um, but you know, you have a man like who like who protects a crowd of people, like a church, like you know, from being being shot up, and he he kills the the shooter, and like, and you hear nothing about it, you know, like yeah. he did, or he gets made out to be a criminal, which they don't, it doesn't fit the media narrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it just, like, just they choose what they want to post. Yeah. Um. So, uh, you know, men who are like who are career c- criminals or like or suffer from me- mental illness are almost always they always come from a, from a broken home. They almost always gr- like have like have grown up from like uh, uh without without a good father. Um, households with step parents experience higher rates of abuse. I know this might hurt some people's feelings, but you know, like, but these are facts. Um, no, but, but we agree with you on that. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. I um, lived it. Yeah, and so like, and so like the 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 ultimate thing is like is that when you don't have purpose, you feel like you're dying. So you go and join a, a cult, or you join um, a gang, or you attend support groups, <laughs> like you know, like <laughs> like Jack did. Um, uh, in the book, uh, in the book Tribe by Sebastian Younger, uh, he noted that several countries during wartime uh, experienced like uh, experienced drops in psych ward admissions and suicides um, because all these people during war had like had purpose. Um, the uh, the neurotics, you know, the people who like who were like you know were, had panic attacks and yeah. were anxious, or and the people you thought would be like would probably be the worst in the time of, in like in, in time of war. Um, we're actually okay because they had they had purpose. Like a lot of these guys were like were driving ambulances or like or they're they're like they're working with like with the nurses or the medics or whatever. Like you know like they're just doing like you know like tasks like that needed to be done. There's they, an antagonist to focus on. They, there was a purpose. Is a tra- yeah. like you know or distraction, whatever you want to call it. Like, but yeah. they had a purpose. Um, is like is what I think that the uh, the overarching thing is. Um, and uh, that a lot of those people, whatever like that, survived uh, like that survived those terrible things. Um, they actually look back on a lot of those things fondly. You know, they they yeah. miss the, they miss the time whatever of being like in a, in a in a bunker, you know, like waiting for the next air raid to come over, um, and the moment and the times that they had like you know with each other, um, you know, like that that connection, like that that interpersonal um, that interpersonal connection that they had with the people they live with, that community is gone. Yeah, and uh, and like and they they look back on those days and they 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 look on the back on those days falling and they they yearn for it. Right.
Hey guys, thanks for listening to our podcast, Barrel Age Flicks. We are so excited for the upcoming episodes heading your way and bonus episodes from The Small Batch. If you love our show, please spread the word. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, you can find us. Our username is Barrel Flicks. That's B-A-R-R-E-L-F-L-I-C-K-S. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at BarrelAgedFlicks at gmail.com. That's BarrelAgedFlicks at gmail.com. Credit to White Bat Audio for the background music. Thank you guys so much. Also, you can find us on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Anchor, Spotify, and CastBox. Hope to see you next week.